Hey everybody, it's Candace. I'm going to be sharing my personal story of adoption today. I'm going to give you an overview from how we chose Korea to our first couple weeks at home of bonding and attachment. My husband Anthony and I have always had adoption in our hearts and it was something we discussed before we got married. We also are very motivated by our faith. We see in the Bible God calling his people to care for the orphan and vulnerable and we believe that applies to everyone. Not everyone should adopt but we believe that everyone should care for the vulnerable. We also have been on trips all over the world doing missions and we've seen these children firsthand that need someone to care and advocate for them and so it's really hard to see that firsthand and not do something about it yourself. Whenever we wanted to grow our family we were just praying about what to do and we just felt like God was speaking to us that our first child was going to come to us by adoption. So we took a couple months and we're just researching agencies and countries and programs and trying to figure out what was right for us. So um, I basically made like a, a breakdown on a iPhone note of all the countries and different programs and breaking down their costs and timelines. There are so many countries we felt a pull to. There's just so much in need um, and so many great programs out there. Um, The more I get into this adoption world, it seems like at different times there are spotlights on different countries that are just moving really quickly and things are very efficient. The spotlight was really on Korea. We hit all the requirements and and so we started to, to take a step with Korea. The more we got into it, the more compelled we felt to these children after looking at the history of uh, in the country of orphans and adoption. Something that everyone should do, regardless of whether you're doing a Korean adoption, is uh, watching the documentary Dropbox. It's about a pastor in Korea who started, a, it's a baby Dropbox where Um, mothers could drop their unwanted babies instead of them just being left on the sidewalks um, and freezing to death most of the time. So he would create, he created a place where these children could be dropped off and he cares for them and gets them to an adoption agency. Um, It's very moving. You learn a lot about the country and history through that documentary. So I really recommend it. Something interesting to note is that Abortion is incredibly high in Korea, and abortion is not legal, but per capita, it is the, it has the highest abortion rates, according to the facts I found. So we also wanted to, I mean, we're just one family, obviously, but we felt like it would be great to support a birth mother who did have her child and and place them for adoption instead of having an abortion. So we wanted to support those type of women. That's how we landed on Korea. We sent off our application in July of 2016, and our dossier was sent off to Korea in November of 2016. We received a referral in February 2017. So really quick turnaround from our paperwork being submitted to a referral. When we got a referral, 
Um, our little boy at the time was 10 months old. Korea allows five months for the child to be adopted in Korea. So you, you will never get a referral of a newborn in Korea. They'll always be at least five months old. They usually wait a little bit longer because they have to get paperwork together for that referral. Um, so our little, we were expecting an eight to 12 month old at referral and, um, and Saja was 10 months old. So it was right in the middle. We received an incredible amount of information in the packet, probably 30 pages of medical information, um, probably 20 to 30 pictures, uh, full parental biographies, full information on the foster mom and dad, and um, and we even got birth grandparent medical information. I mean, we any, anything we wanted to know, it was there, which is really great to have. Um, even now, it's great to be able to hand that to a pediatrician and them to know the full history and not have to do any guesswork. With a lot of Korean children, they they say that you should be prepared to get a referral of a child that has had some exposure to alcohol or tobacco prenatally. Um, that wasn't the case with us, but I, I do know that is a, a very standard thing for Korea. Asaja was tagged as special needs just because he was born premature and a low birth weight. So that put him in a special needs category. So um, that just goes to show you that internationally, when children are are noted as special needs, it, it might not be what you are thinking of as special needs. Um, it could be something as simple as being born prematurely. And Saja was completely healthy otherwise. We were advised to submit his medical information to international pediatricians before we said yes. Um, so we did that. We took a couple days and gave that paperwork to doctors and a couple adoption professionals we were connected with. We, we gave it to them just to look it over and make sure there wasn't something we were missing or just something we needed to be aware of before saying yes. But we pretty quickly turned it around and sent in our acceptance paperwork. Up to that point, you're really staying busy a lot during your home study. And as soon as your home study's done, you can start in on grants. And that really keeps you busy. Um, but after we received the referral, it was a lot of waiting. Um, and our adoption was fairly quick from start to finish. It was 14 months. So not a lot of waiting compared to most adoptions. But um, but still, the period between referral and anything happening is a lot of waiting and just doing a few things of paperwork here and there. We had a, a list of certain things we could send over to Saja in the meantime. We found a couple books, those voice books where you can record your voice reading the story. So we sent those to him so he could hear our voices. And we sent a, a photo album of our house and us. And I think we also sent a flash drive of a video of us talking and walking around the house. So little stuff like that you can send. Um, you know, there Saja was so little, but it's still, you know, it's 
it's nice for him to have something and, and at least be used to hearing your voice. By June 1st, his exit permit was issued, and we received a court date of August 11th. Career requires two trips. The first trip, it, you get to meet your child, meet the foster family, and then the and go before the court. And the second trip is uh, getting custody. So our first trip, we got to meet Saja, um, which was an incredible experience. It was so cool because we walked into the foster home, and he saw us and just stared at us. And his foster mom showed him a picture that he had of us, and he looked at the picture and looked at us, a double take, looked at the picture, looked at us, and then he smiled really big, and I'll never forget that moment. It was so priceless. Um, so we just played with him, and we got to ask the foster mom some questions. I had a huge list of questions. I wish I would have changed the kind of questions I asked because I had so many questions just practically about food and formula and sleep and schedule. But one of my friends suggested I ask the question, what is your favorite memory of him to the foster mom? And, and I'm so glad I asked that because she shared a, a, just a really sweet moment that she had with him. Saja was not hesitant of us at all. I mean, we were... We tried really hard not to overwhelm him, him at all. We were just there if he wanted to play with us, and, and he did. He was super fun, and um, and he was playing at one point with Anthony, and he looked up at him and said, Appa? Which means daddy in Korean, and that was another really precious moment. The second time we were with him was in the adoption agency, the Korean Adoption Agency. Both of our visits for him were just easy and fun and playful and just an incredible experience. You know, you look at the picture of this child that you know is yours for so long, and to actually be in the same room with them, sitting with them, is so cool. The day before we left, we went before the court. We were lined up in a hallway with a bunch of other adoptive parents, which was an amazing experience. I love getting to know other adoptive families. Obviously, I do this podcast, but it was so cool to all be in that moment together and experiencing that with each other and just learning how people got there and what their situation was was super cool. There's not a lot of people that can share your exact experience like that with them. And, and these were all people that we were on the same track, we were on the same timeline, and and it's been cool. A lot of those parents we became Facebook friends with or Instagram friends, and it's cool to see them with our kids now. We were given a list of questions. I think it was about 10 questions. And so we had practiced our answers, and we were ready. Um, but by the time we got in the court, I think the judge was just ready to go home, honestly, because he it just kept everything really brief. He only asked us two questions, I think. Pretty simple ones. He asked us why we were adopting. He asked us about our time with Saja and how that went. And then we had to to swear that we would raise this child to the best of our abilities, which was a really incredible experience. I I think every parent should have to do that um, because it just, you know how important this job is. But before you have that child, having to say that, having to swear before a judge 
that you'll raise them to the best of your ability is a there's a lot of magnitude to it. We were just so impressed by Korea's care for the children. You could tell the judge and everyone connected with court wants to know that you love this child and you're going to give this child a good home. And we saw that with the Korean Adoption Agency too. Everyone was just so passionate about these children and so thrilled that they were going to be in families um, and they wanted to make sure that you were a good one. So then we went home. We were told that it's only about a month in between trips. And so it's a really quick turnaround. And it, from what I've seen from watching other families too, it's pretty much on the nose one month. And honestly, it felt like we just got home and we were turning around and packing our bags again. From the court date to our, from the day we got custody, it was one month exactly. We were only home about three weeks. The reason there are two trips is that you have to get the visa for the child and it it takes, the judge takes some time to look over your case and then approve it and then it takes some time to get the visa ready. So that's why there's a little gap there. Of course, you could stay in country for a month or six weeks. Um, we just weren't able to do that, but a lot of families do that. Our second trip starts, we get in Korea and this is when it gets really wild. Um, we got custody the second day we were there and that entailed us going to the agency. They did a final checkup of Saja and then we we sat and talked with Saja's foster mom for a while and being with her was such a humbling experience. She was such an incredible woman she fostered the Saja was her 25th child that she fostered and you could just see the love and how she treated him and cared for him and we were just blown away by her compassion and her selflessness thinking about a gift to give her and we just kept coming up with nothing because what do you give the woman who's cared for your son for 16 months? But we, we wanted to give her something. Um, on our first trip, we had brought some things for her and her husband that we were told that are hard to get in Korea, like vitamins. And we're from Baltimore, Maryland. And so we got a couple Baltimore, Maryland shirts and just a couple little things because we hadn't met her yet and, and we wanted to get her something more specific to her the second round. A friend of mine had given me a necklace that has uh, the U.S. and then a couple dots in between and then Korea um, with a heart in the middle. It's really cute and, and pretty. And so I got a duplicate one for her. So we wrote a letter and I had a Korean friend translate it. Um, just trying to somehow show our gratitude through this letter. So we wrote the letter and put the necklace in it and, and we gave her that at custody. And, and I just said to her, when I, I have the same necklace and I showed her and I said, when I wear this, I'll remember you and honor you. And when you wear this, I hope that you know that he's in a loving home. So that was a really special moment between us. And we headed back to the hotel. Asaja was just so sweet and quiet on the way home. And, and I know he was just overwhelmed by everything and, and probably in shock. And 
one of the adoption books I, I've read, they talk about four different demeanors kids have when they're going through something they're unsure of. And one of them is, they call it in the book, the warm rock syndrome, where they're just, they're just completely still and just kind of zoned out look on their face. And that's how he was when we uh, were in the taxi. And then when we got to our hotel room, when we got to our hotel room, he, he sat on the bed and he just let out this huge cry and it wasn't like any other cry I've ever heard him cry it was like a strong sadness came over him and honestly I mean I know he's less than two but it was like he knew what had happened that's how it seemed to us we you know comforted him as best as we could and he just immediately fell asleep and that night he slept like 13 or 14 hours it was crazy. Um, And again, I think it was just the shock and initial trauma of everything that he just kind of shut down. Um, You try to be prepared and do everything you can to be just calming and comforting, but it's crazy what they go through. And there's only so much you can do as the adoptive parent in that situation. And then the next day, things were pretty good. He was still just a little zoned out, not not really quite with us, it felt like. Um, and then that night is when I would say that the grief we were expecting really kicked in. Um, he fell asleep for a couple hours and then just woke up in this absolute terror. And so hard for us because he was pushing us away and resisting us fighting us and and there was just nothing we could do at all we we tried everything that pretty much continued the rest of our time in Korea um it felt like we were just sitting on a a time bomb that we didn't know when it was going to go off he could be totally happy one minute and then as far as we knew nothing changed but he would just go into uh an extreme meltdown um, where he would just be thrashing around and and pushing us away. Um, so obviously that was really that's a really stressful situation to be in and we didn't really know what to do. Um, you know, you I read so many books, I listened to so many podcasts, I talked to so many people, but until you're living it and that child is screaming twenty hours out of twenty four hours every day, um, it you just don't really know how to deal with it. Um so the advice we were given um, was just to to pick him up when he wants picked up. When he doesn't, lay him down and, and lay beside him. Make sure he doesn't hurt himself and put in earplugs and just be there for him. Be whatever he needs you to be. The hard part about their grief is that they really have to go through it on their own and there's not always a lot you can do. And I just kept trying to put myself in his shoes and think... I knew this was coming. I had prepared myself, but he didn't, he had no idea it was coming. And one day everything just completely changed and there was no going back to him. And there's no real understanding of, of why this happened. And is it going to happen again? 
sort of thing. And so seeing him go through this trauma really, it made me put myself in his shoes. To work on bonding, what we did in the hotel, we were given a ton of awesome tips. Um, Something that can be really difficult is eye contact at first. And so when we were giving food, we would put the spoon or snack or whatever on our forehead right in between our eyes. And when he would make eye contact with us and look at the food, then he would get the food. So that builds some some bonding and creating eye contact and connecting us with food, which is a good thing because that equals care. And the whole purpose of, of this bonding time is to create the trust and know that he can trust us to care for him for the important things. So food's a huge help for that, um, especially with Saja because he loves food and, and food is a huge comfort to him. And so if that comfort is coming from us, it just helps him connect that easier. Um, he at the time was on formula and so holding him like a like you would hold an infant while we would give the bottle, even looking like right eye to right eye because that is the emotional connection. So making that connection while you're feeding is really helpful. And then just to get him comfortable with us, we just did a lot of a lot of games that helped create a trust and just getting to know us. So peekaboo is really good for that. That helps with eye contact and getting to know your face and learning that you can go behind something, but you're going to come back. Something we did a lot there um, was me sitting on the floor, him in my lap, and I would rock back and forth singing, row, row, row your boat. And that was, you know, it's fun and it's silly because he's like moving and we're singing, but just getting him to be close to me um, in a fun way, because that can be hard. Um, can be resistant to that closeness and so doing just fun silly things that can build that closeness is that was huge for us so that was our time in Korea it was crazy it it was certainly tough but we had a lot of really fun moments together as a family too we we went to a lot of playgrounds and and just seeing what he could do and what made him laugh that was really fun for us when we got home there were a few things that he loved that really surprised us we were expecting him to to hate the car seat hate the crib and hate the high chair because he wasn't in any of those in Korea and he was totally fine with all of them including the crib which shocked us um he's always been fine with his crib he's not always cool with us leaving the room but he's always really liked going to his crib so that was a big surprise to us his grief um sort of transitioned when we got home what's been interesting to me in this process is that kids really go through those five stages of grief just like an adult would and so you know we saw the shock and the disbelief and when we got home we experienced the anger and what came out was just resisting us in a more physical manner so biting kicking pinching hitting you name it um he did it (laughs) and things were always harder at night um 
That's true for all grief. Grief is always harder for everyone at night. Our first night home was such a crazy night because my husband, Anthony, is a pastor, and he actually had to preach the next morning on a Sunday. And we were both, we were all completely exhausted. We just had this wild experience and week and traveled from the other side of the world, and our sleep was all messed up. I was on Saja duty that night since Anthony had to preach, so I was sleeping in his room next to him. And in the middle of the night, he woke up thrashing around and so upset, pushing me away. He screamed for about three hours. And I always joke when I tell the story that he cried for three hours and I cried for one because it was just so much. And and I just remember being at my wit's end and just so tired and not knowing what to do. And I had this very clear thought in my head of, I'm just not his mom yet. I don't comfort him yet. My voice isn't soothing to him. My touch isn't comforting to him yet. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. No, but I've always been his father. And just this realization flooded me of, you know, I'm, I've been a mom to him for a week. Foster mom was a mom to him for a little over a year. His birth mom was mom to him for a while, but God has been his father this whole time. And so I just prayed that night that even though my voice didn't comfort him, that God's voice that he'd known his whole life would comfort him and that he would hear his voice. And that's been something that stuck with me as a parent, that that this child really is God's. And he's in my care for a while, but he's God's child. And and God has guided him his whole life up to this point, and he's going to keep doing that into his future. That week in Korea, the first week at home, those were like really tough weeks. Not a lot of sleep and a lot of screaming. <laughs> but every week after that, we saw huge improvements. I mean, we kept looking back thinking, wow, I, this is a different kid. We would think that every week because he just kept changing and we kept seeing the playful, fun, happy kid and less of the, the traumatized kid. I think it was about uh, at the six-week mark, we saw just a really huge difference in him when it was like, you know, there were normal toddler tantrums, but we could tell that they were normal. Like there was a reason and they didn't last very long instead of just irrational hour or two long meltdowns. Um, And so that was a huge turning point for us. And even still, he's been home for four months. Every month we're seeing huge improvement. So this is, I'm still fresh in this, which is probably why I'm able to be so raw about our bonding experience because we're in it. (laughs) But we really are seeing huge strides and it's been an amazing experience. Adoption is so beautiful. It's so amazing. That doesn't mean that it's not messy and hard. Adoption is so redemptive in nature, but redemption only happens if there's something that's broken. And so you have the the beauty of adoption, but you also have the trauma of adoption. And those 
those things go together and, and that's okay. It's been an amazing experience from start to where we are now. And even with the hard parts, even with the the grief and the trauma, you know, this child has a family now. We have Saja now. And I would gladly do anything to have him. Well, that is my Korea adoption story. I hope that was helpful to you wherever you are in this journey. In the show notes, I'm linking some of my favorite items, three of my favorite adoption books, one of which I mentioned in the show, Parenting Your Internationally Adopted Child. I'm also attaching a link to the Dropbox documentary I mentioned and one of my favorite items while traveling, the Tula Toddler Carrier. A lot of foster moms in Korea use this, and so the kids are already comfortable with it, and it just really helps create that bonding and closeness. If you have any questions or want to tell me your story, I'd love to get to know you. You can email me at adoptionhacksinfo at gmail.com or you can find me on social media under Candace Laycock, K-A-N-D-A-C-E-L-E-C-O-C-Q. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody.